Well, good morning, everyone. It's great to be with you here today in God's house, and happy 4th of July. I want to greet those who are in the patio with us today, and also all of those friends that are with us online today. Um, I'm Pastor Shanda, the children's pastor here at Alexandria Covenant. And as you saw in the video, we just came off a wild week of Vacation Bible School. And we had a great time. It was just super fun. Um, it really warmed my heart to see the kids' enthusiasm for learning about God and for the singing, and we had some dancing going on up here. And, and just for our, our mission, too, we did um, Bread to the Nations. We sent six children to school for a whole year. We raised $2,600. It was exciting. And I just value the intergenerational community that we have here. Uh, we had volunteers, 130 of them, and they were from ages 11 to 91. And so I think that's just something that we can praise God for. Let's get that. And so before we hear from the word, would you join me in prayer? God, we ask you to give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to respond to you today. Amen. Well, have you ever been in a situation where you were overwhelmed by the generosity of someone towards you. You were perhaps in a hopeless place or a hard place in your life, and someone showed up with some practical help or maybe even with some money to encourage you. Just remember for a moment what that did to your soul, what that felt like, and how that encouraged you. Well, my oldest daughter had that kind of experience this last year during the COVID-19 pandemic. My daughter owns a small business boutique, and because of the state mandate, she had to close her doors. And she experienced many unknowns, like many of you also experienced during that time. There was a lot of fear and stress and just a real sense of powerlessness to change the situation. And being that she had no idea how long she would stay closed, she reached out to the people who held her mortgage and her business loan and they were both gracious and said, you know what, just don't pay us anything until you get to reopen your doors. And one of them even paid for her property tax. And a couple of her employees, not being paid anymore, even came in and helped her with a couple projects around the business. And as she was talking to me and, and reflecting on the generosity of all these people in her life, she said, with tears in her eyes, she said, Mom, I don't deserve their kindness. And with mama tears in my eyes, I said, none of us do. That's what grace is. And so today we're going to talk about what it means to be part of God's kingdom people who love and live generously. And we're going to dive into a portion of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus focuses on discipleship. And discipleship is the kind of life that God expects of those who follow him. And let's remember that being a follower of Jesus is not a casual thing, something that you just wander into. But then, in fact, following Jesus requires intentionality. And when Jesus calls people to follow him, that follow piece implies that people chase after and passionately pursue Jesus and the things that matter in God's kingdom. Because as God of the universe, Jesus expects a lot of those who follow him. And some of you may wonder if Jesus' expectations that we've been learning about in the Beatitudes are just unrealistic. 
And you, you would be right to think that God's standards are high because they are, after all, God's ethical and moral standards, and they are far beyond any human's ability to achieve, and that's because all humans have sin, and that's the point. It is impossible, but our only hope is in God. Jesus does not leave his followers to try hard to follow God's standards in their own strength. Instead, he empowers them with the Holy Spirit. Jesus' Spirit indwells and guides and equips kingdom people to live in ways that are right and good and that bring glory to God. So our text today is Matthew 6, verses 1 through 4. And you're welcome to pull out your phone, your tablet, whatever form of the Bible you have with you today. The passage we're focusing on today is the first of three sections related to each other, and they are giving, prayer, and fasting. And giving, prayer, and fasting were considered the three pillars of Jewish piety in the first century. And piety is simply religious devotion or obedience. And these three practices were assumed to be things that people would naturally do as part of their religious life. And today our focus is on the first section of Matthew 6 that addresses giving and living generously towards others. And I'm guessing the topic of giving could be an uncomfortable one for some of you. And I hear you. You may have experienced shame or hurt or legalistic expectations around the giving topic, but I want to reassure you that I'm not going to go there. So Matthew 6, 1 through 4, you can follow along as I read. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father in heaven. So whenever you give to the poor, don't sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be applauded by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, this is much more than a text on how to give money. This teaching goes far beyond the religious activity to a person's internal heart motivation and attitudes. And it goes beyond what is outwardly done to the internal reason that a person is being generous. So let's unpack this one verse at a time. Verse 1. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father in heaven. Now, this practice your righteousness phrase, or as other translations would say, to parade your good deeds or your righteous acts or to practice your almsgiving. And I think almsgiving is the best way to translate this word. And almsgiving in the first century was an expected activity of Jewish religious people. Almsgiving was simply the act of giving money to the poor. It was not a requirement of Jewish law, but it was viewed as especially praiseworthy and the most sacred of religious duties because it took care of the poor in a society where welfare and social services was not a thing. And so check this out. The same Greek word was used for both almsgiving and righteousness. And so giving money to the poor and godly living were considered to be one and the same. Now, is that kind of a surprising thing? I don't think, though, that it was surprising for God's people. Check out what Moses told the Israelite people just before they entered the promised land. From Deuteronomy 15, we read, 
If there is a poor person among you, one of your brothers within any of your city gates in the land the Lord your God is giving you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted towards your poor brother. Instead, you are to open your hand to him and freely loan him enough for whatever need he has. Give to him and don't have a stingy heart when you give. And because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in everything you do. For there will never cease to be poor people in the land. That is why I'm commanding you, open your hand willingly to your poor and needy brother in your land. Now, did you catch those contrasts? Hard-hearted, tight-fisted, and stingy are contrasted with an open hand that freely helps and gives with generosity. Can you relate to any of these descriptions? Well, I can. <laughs> I was wrestling with God a few months back about a prompting to be open-handed and to give to a ministry. And I was hesitant, and I even questioned if I was hearing from God. And honestly, I was fearful that I would not have enough if I gave. And so I stalled a few days like you do, and the prompting did not go away. And so I opened my tight fist, and I gave. And I knew that this was yet another opportunity for me to trust God. And the next day, and I just want you to know this has never happened to me before, much to my surprise, I received an unexpected check rebate from my insurance company, which was for, get this, exactly the same amount that I had finally released the day before. And I imagined God smiling at me with a great big smile because I knew once again that God was patiently teaching me to trust him. And I really believe that generosity is formational for the giver. It's much more than parting with what we think is our money. It's about listening to God and obeying God and trusting God. And God may ask you to do something uncomfortable or to give up yourself or your money when it doesn't make any sense. And that's okay. God's economy is much different than ours, and everything that we have and everything we are comes from God. And we are merely managers of God's resources. So verse 2, so whenever you give to the poor, don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be applauded by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. There's a couple of fun things to unpack in this verse. First, Jesus says, do not be like the hypocrites. And this phrase is going to show up in all three of the sections that we're going to look at on giving prayer and fasting. Do not be like the hypocrites. And this is probably a familiar word to most of you. But hypocrite comes from the Greek word that means pretender. The one who acts a part to put on a false front or a mask in a performance. And in this verse, the hypocrite's desire is to appear spiritual and generous, but is ultimately seeking the praise of other people. Their giving is about self-glory, not God's glory. And over and over in the New Testament, Jesus condemns people who pretend to be spiritual. Their generosity may get them noticed by others, but Jesus is not impressed. Jesus calls them out, and he says, Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. So the praise or the applause or the notice of other people right here and now, that's all they get. And second, Jesus says, don't sound the trumpet. 
Now, I couldn't find any first century custom of blowing trumpets. And this statement is most likely metaphorical for making a big deal of something or showing off, drawing attention to yourself. And perhaps you've heard someone say, not to toot my own horn, but, right? You've heard that? Not to toot my own horn, but, and then they go on to brag about something. Are you with me? Yeah. Well, the principle that we can draw from this passage is that kingdom living is about internal motivation, not outward image. That kingdom living is about internal motivation, not outward image. So verse 3. But when you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. And perhaps this is a little bit of Jesus' humor. He's definitely making an exaggeration to make a point because it's an impossible thing for one hand to not know what the other hand is doing. But the point this verse is making is that kingdom giving and kingdom generosity is to be done from kingdom motivation, humbly, in secret, behind the scenes, not for the attention of others, but for God's glory. And I also wonder if this left hand not knowing what the right hand is doing is, goes beyond not looking for the attention of others or your self-glory to even self-congratulations or self-applause for being a very generous person. In verse 4, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And another translation says, great is your reward in heaven. And somehow giving with the motivation to glorify God results in eternal rewards. And this passage is not specific on what the reward is, but it does indicate that a reward is reserved and waiting for you. In one translation that I read, it said that the reward was waiting for you by the side of your father. And I find it very enduring that the reward is not someplace over there unrelated to relationship with God, but that the reward is by the side of your father. And when I was reflecting on this, it reminded me of what it's like to be a grandparent, say at Christmas time or at birthdays. Um, just sitting and waiting to give that gift that you wrapped up, that special toy you chose, just to give to your grandkid. And not only is the beloved child excited to get the gift, but that the grandparent delights to give the gift. And I think God delights to give us our reward. And the principle then that comes from this section of the passage is that kingdom living is about glorifying God, not yourself. The kingdom living is about glorifying God, not yourself. And I want to rabbit trail just a little bit on this concept of glory and bringing glory to God. What rises up in you when you hear this word glory? Is it kind of abstract? Is it, do your eyes kind of gloss over when you hear that your ultimate purpose in life is to bring glory to God? Anyone else struggle with this? <laughs> because I do. Um, and so let's dig in and just unpack the Greek word for glory. The Greek word here for glory is kavod. And kavod means the heavy, full weight of who God is and what God's gift of grace and mercy means. It's the intensity, the significance of who God is as his value as king of the universe. And glory is about God's honor, God's reputation, God's importance, and God's status as the creator of everyone and everything. 
And when I speak with kids, I often explain us bringing glory to God, that glory is something that we do to make God famous, to draw attention to how awesome God is. And we praise God because he is the maximally greatest being. And in Covenant Kids, we refer to the one true God as the MGB, the maximally greatest being. It's that God is to the max, the strongest, the smartest, the most loving, just, caring, merciful, beautiful being, that he is far greater than any other spiritual being. And as imagers of God, people ultimately are meant to reflect God's character as we see in the Beatitudes of Matthew chapter 5. In the person of Jesus, we see what a sinless, perfect human imager of God looks like. And Jesus, being fully God and fully human, as my friends at the Bible Project would say, Jesus alone was the human that all of us were meant to be, but fail miserably to be. I'll say that one more time. Jesus alone was the human that all of us were meant to be, but fail miserably to be. And yet we know as followers of Jesus that someday we will be the sinless, perfect imager of God that he meant for us to each be. And so let's wrap up with this question. What does it mean to be a kingdom of God person who lives and loves generously? Well, let's remember together that God is the most generous being. He is to the max generous. No one has given more than God. In Jesus, he gave all of himself for you to be reconciled to him. And he came to earth to die, and he came back to life to overcome the consequence of sin and death. And Jesus' work is the only way to make you right with God, to deal with your sin problem, and to bring you into God's forever family. And so the final principle that we can draw from this passage is that kingdom living is about responding to God's generosity by living generously. That kingdom living is about responding to God's generosity by living generously. And how is it that we can live as generous kingdom people? Our only hope is to depend upon God's Spirit, that God's Spirit would transform us to be like the perfect human, Jesus. So in closing, let's just be reminded about kingdom living. The kingdom living is about internal motivation, not outward image. And that kingdom living is about glorifying God, not yourself. And that kingdom living is about responding to God's generosity by living generously. And may we all passionately pursue and chase after a kingdom of God life that values loving God and loving others and living generously. Will you join me in prayer? Father God, we thank you for this word today. Help us as dearly loved people to remember we belong to you and that your spirit empowers us to live for you. Help us to be humble, dependent, kingdom people who respond to your generosity in the person of Jesus. Teach us to live generously in ways that bring glory to you. Amen. Amen.